Welcome to the Bard and Bible, a conversational devotional about scripture, life, and ministry from the perspective of a tabletop missionary still trying to figure out what those words actually mean when you string them together. There's a seat by the fire over there, and it looks like things are just about to get started. Tonight's tale, a horrible instruction book. Ah, it's good to be back. Let me tell you, Jonathan, it's good to get out the door every now and then, gather a few new stories, songs, and the like, but there is nothing greater than coming home afterwards. N Jonathan? Stranger than strange. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't see you there. You're not Jonathan. I wonder where he went to. Oh well, might as well get back to work. Welcome to the Bard and Bible. My name is Mike Perna, your freshly returned resident dwarf bard. Let me get you something from the kitchen. Empty. I I don't know how I was going to possibly let this happen. Now, before I left, I specifically told him the story about how there was once this wayward traveler, lost on a pilgrimage, who stumbled into an empty tavern. How he discovered not rest, but giant rats in the basement. Clearly, he should have known when I told him that story, that meant to go to the market on Tuesday, when the prices are the best, talk to my cousin Algren for the week's stock. It's just common sense. This will not bode well for his review. Now, I only kinda grew up in the church. Yeah, when I was a kid, there was a little bit of church influence. I did occasionally go. Heck, I was an altar boy. And... Yeah, one could say that I was taught a little bit about the Bible, but I'm going to tell you that those teachers weren't that great. And as such, growing up in a specific church context and not really caring about much of it, I missed out on a lot of the quote-unquote Christian culture that a lot of people picked up like just as rote, like, this is what you do. And some of it... I'm really upset that I missed out on, but there's also some of it that I'm kind of glad I missed out on because not hearing it until after I was 17 or older, man, it sounds, it sounds really awkward and really cheesy. This is especially true whenever people in church, whether it's like some kind of program or a vacation Bible school, or even from behind the pulpit, somebody decides it's really important to use an acronym. My golly, do people in churches really love their acronyms. And I, there's been a couple that have kind of come and gone. And, you know, obviously there's some that, that aren't strictly acronyms because they don't really mean anything, but I had my WWJD bracelet and, you know, that kind of stuff. But there were some that actually, like, used actual words. Things like, I remember there was a series that, that was done for the kids. I wasn't teaching this one, but I was present for it. And so I guess you could say that I'm guilty by proxy. There was one that was called Frog. Fully rely on God. And, I, you know, as I'm sitting there and, and I was in my late teens, early 20s, hearing this, I go, wow, this is, this is incredibly cheesy. I'm really glad this is for the tiny children who don't comprehend the fact that this is as cheesy as it is. 
However, most of the time, I just kind of let it slide. I, you know, we're all entitled to our cheesiness. We're all entitled to the things that we enjoy and the, the, the kitsch from our youth. Heck, literally, as I'm recording this, earlier today, I was sifting through Twitter and found out that Restoration Games announced that the Kickstarter for Fireball Island was coming up. And I may have done a little happy dance because that was my childhood, you know, kicking down little red marbles that were supposed to be fireballs to, to run down little shoots and, and knock over little tiny bridges to knock little tiny men over to their little tiny death. That was, that was so awesome to me. And, and I totally acknowledge that it was stupid and cheesy and ridiculous, but I'm still going to try and find to get my pennies for that Kickstarter because I love it. However, when it comes to these acronyms, when it comes to this cheese, there is one that really gets under my skin. It really, it almost actually upsets me when people use it because it, it takes something that is powerful and beautiful and really beyond comprehension and tries to make it cute and tries to make it simple. And the Bible, because that's what we're talking about here, the Bible should never be made to be either of those things. That's right, kids. We're talking about the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving Earth. Okay, now granted, I don't often hear people use the cheesy radio show announcer guy voice, but they might as well because that's what it sounds like to me when they use that acronym the Bible is most decidedly not basic, and to call it basic instructions makes it read like it's an instruction manual. Say, read this, and you'll know how to do everything. And my goodness, that can't be how we see our Bibles. You want to know why? Because if that's the framework by which we read our Bible, it's garbage. Now... I need to clarify here, because I just said the Bible is garbage, and people are going to completely deny the rest of that context and just stop listening to this podcast right now and unsubscribe and do all sorts of things. Let me be very clear what I mean by that. I'm a firm believer in what they call the inspiration of Scripture. I believe that God gave us the Bible through human authorship. I also believe in something that not everybody who's listening to me right now might believe, at least not in the same context that I do, called inerrancy, which means that the Bible is without error. Well, I kind of do. Me saying I believe in inerrancy now is different than me saying I believe in inerrancy like 10 years ago when I was still in seminary, but I still believe it, just slightly different. But that's an entirely other conversation, and, and that right there alone gives you a little bit of insight in the fact that there's nothing basic about the Bible. There's nothing that's a valid instruction manual about it because there is so much room for leeway. There is so much room for interpretation and miscommunication. There is so much gray area that we don't want to be gray, but is because there's it, it was never written to be anything other than that. And I'm going to explain to you a little bit about where I'm coming from in this, but I just want to set those ground rules. I have a very high view of scripture. I have a very high view of the fact that this book, this 
amazing gift given to us by God is powerful and wonderful and beautiful. And I grow really, really irritated when we turn it into a cheesy acronym. It ruins what the Bible is to make it something that it was never intended to be. So let's kind of dig into this. I want to first off just start off by going into the fact that you can't call this book basic. Now, I'm going to break down a little bit more in a, a little bit later about the fact that it's not an instruction manual. But I really wanted to hit home on this element specifically, this idea of basic. Because when you say that the Bible is basic, you're basically under the... There I go, I just said it again. You are under the impression that... Anybody can pick this up and just haphazardly find the the ins and outs and all the nooks and crannies of what it means to be in the Bible, to, to, to meditate on the word, to really establish yourself in this book. And that's not even kind of true. I have plenty of people in my life who have read the Bible just as much, if not more, than I have who don't believe that it's the word of God, who don't believe that it's truth, that don't believe any of the stuff that's in it. They just read it as literature. So on a very core level, it can't just be so obvious that anyone can figure it out. But I want to break some things down. And I could spend the next hour and a half, if not longer, just talking about this. I've spent long time in class and long times in the library and long times in the Bible itself going through stuff like this to kind of hash out my own understanding of what the Bible is and, and its place and its importance. I've spent that time. I spent nine years of higher education, like not even high school and lower, which I didn't have a lot of years because I didn't get saved till my junior year of high school, but... I spent nine years of higher education, five years of graduate level study on this book, and I'm not even that good at it. I, I am a theologian in the strictest sense of the term, because I'm a lousy student, and that's to my own detriment. I, you can't minimize that, because one thing that, that I... I always like to think about it whenever somebody tries to, to sell me on the fact that the Bible is basic and easily grasped is that for so many people, they go to people in leadership. They look to people who have been to seminary and studied these things. And, and while I'm not one to say that you have to have those things to be effective in ministry. In fact, I'm one of the people who say that a lot of times we put too much stock in seminary education what I'm here to tell you is, is that there's a reason we go to those people who've studied this stuff. There's a reason we go to these people who have written these books. And, and I have a library full of commentaries a couple rooms over because I need that stuff to understand the basic readings of this text. I literally have three different books open right now just talking to you guys on this bullet point devotional. And... and I'll admit that this is literally just scratching the surface on even a handful of these issues. I, 
my goal here is to get you folks thinking about this stuff because it's important to think about this stuff. It's important to understand what the Bible is and the framework, the big word for the framework in which we read the Bible is the hermeneutic, uh, the, the way we see the text and how we study it because defining that hermeneutic literally will dictate how we view the entirety of the Bible as we read it. So, I don't mean to point these out to again to to somehow belittle the Bible because that is exactly the opposite of my intent. My intent here is to get you folks thinking about this stuff because these things are reality. They exist in this book and if you have not wrestled with them yet, if you have not wrestled with how to read this or to understand the complexity of it, then you are missing out on on so much of what this means about bringing this into your own life and to struggle and to wrestle with this. And I'm getting ahead of myself. We're just going to go through some of the stuff here. Let's just break down who wrote the Bible. Again, I believe in inspiration. I believe that ultimately you can look at me and say, God wrote the Bible. But each one of these individual human authors that, that God inspired to write this text, every one of them had a flair. Every one of them had a style. You cannot read through these and think that somehow that there's, there's no interaction with the human author here. So even though I believe that God is ultimately the author of this book, there are at least 35 different authors. It was written at least 1400 years. And did you notice that the little two word phrase that I put in there in front of both of those at least because depending on who you talk to, depending on what your hermeneutic is, how you frame this, how you, you read through certain things about the text and how it was formed, both those numbers might increase. Both those numbers might be larger. But that's not even the beginning here, because we also have, when you talk about the writing of the scriptures, you have 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. That doesn't mean that God wasn't working. It doesn't mean that God wasn't moving. It just means that for some reason, there were 400 years between the last book of the Old Testament was written and the first book of the New Testament was written. Again, I could spend long stretches of time to talk about the understanding of canon and how things got listed as books of the Bible and how things didn't. I could talk to you about the fact that Esther was highly, highly discussed as not being in the Bible because of the fact that it doesn't actually reference the name of God ever once in the book. But that's that's a whole other thing. I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time telling you that I could write other Barden Bible episodes on any number of these things, but we move on. I want to talk about the fact that there are apparent contradictions uh, and, and that's something, you know, you'll hear things bantied around like, like problem passages and stuff like that. There are lots of those, but what I'm going to tell you specifically is to point out the fact that there are contradictions in chronology and numbers. All you have to do is read through a couple of books of your old Testament that depending on how deep you are in study, you may or may not have ever cracked once in your life. The books of first and second Chronicles and first and second Kings, these four books a lot of what they talk about is the same stuff. A lot of what they talk about is the same periods of history. Now, there's some differences and there's some different different aspects of who they're writing to and what the purpose is. Again, not basic, but in these cases, there are things where there are different numbers or one book will say one guy did it, another book will say another guy did it. Or it'll say this happened first, but really this happened first. And you start realizing that 
chronology was not really as important as the purpose of the storytelling when you are looking at the histories and the stories told by these Jewish authors. They didn't care so much about whether or not they had every I dotted and T crossed when it came to chronology because they're here to show you something. There's a purpose behind the book. You have to know that in order to, to not be completely thrown by the fact that things are different and I don't know why. But that's just a handful of things because there are other passages that you need to start wrestling with and thinking about because this isn't basic. This isn't simple. This is complicated and, and robust and interesting. You want to talk about interesting? Um, the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. At least that's how I see it. There are other people who I know, love, and respect who view completely different authorship. But again, I digress. I believe that Moses wrote all these books, but Moses' death is depicted in these books. And so how can Moses write about his own death? Who wrote about Moses' death? Likewise, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Nobody knows for sure. There are lots of, re of really interesting theories. There are some that people just kind of throw out but don't really make sense. But my personal favorite one is one that is so mind-boggling to me that I really hope that it's true. I have no concept of whether it's true or not. I, I've done studies and I've looked at various writings. I think I know. And look, I'm not even going to give you the answer because my goal here is to get you folks out there who listen to this questioning these things and doing the research and doing the homework because this isn't basic and that's what makes it awesome. I want you to think about the intricacies of language. Think about the cultural backgrounds, the the literary forms, all the stuff that, that we just kind of take as rote because we're reading it in English, but it wasn't written in English, nor was it written to an American audience. Or if, if you're listening to this from other countries, because I know we have people from all over the place listening to this, no matter where you're from, unless you are in ancient Near Eastern cultures, and not even in the location, but like the ancient version of your culture, it wasn't written to you either. It was written to us, but only in the fact that it was written to all mankind forever. The specifics were not written to us, and so that uses language and idiomatic stuff that, that blows our minds. My favorite thing was when I was talking to somebody who did Bible translation and they said in certain Asian regions where bread is not a thing, like people acknowledge that it exists, but they don't, they don't eat it. They, it's not part of their, their diet. The passage that says Jesus tells the people that, that I am the bread of life. They don't translate that as I am the bread of life because that doesn't have the same cultural weight to it that it would for people like myself who live in a nation where bread is very much a staple food. I especially live in a place where blizzards happen. And so the running joke is, is that whenever somebody sees a, a, a snowflake, everybody goes out and, and buys bread and milk because that's the staple food. So it makes sense that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. But in these Asian cultures where bread is not a thing, they translate it, I am the rice of life, because rice is a staple food. You have to understand the meaning, as well as the word, as well as the original context, to even begin to do this stuff properly. Let's, let's even go, let's go real nuts here. Let's talk about some things that we read all the time that we've just kind of taken of, clearly this should be in your Bible, which maybe it shouldn't. Uh, the book of Mark 
it might be shorter than you think it is. There are some people who will argue that 16.9 until the end of the book shouldn't actually be part of the book because ancient, the, the, the farther back you go, that part of the Bible doesn't exist. It's not in the original manuscript. Well, not in the older manuscripts that we have. We don't have those originals anymore. Uh, likewise, the woman caught in adultery, not in the earliest manuscripts that we have. So was it added? I don't know. Where did it come from if it was added? This stuff ain't easy. And then you're even talking about philosophical stuff. Like, there are certain passages where Paul says, this isn't really a command, but if this were me, this is what I would do. I'm paraphrasing there, but not that much. So what do you do with stuff like that? It's in the Bible, but Paul's saying, this isn't really a command. This is just what I would do here. All of this stuff kind of wraps up into, I'm going to, the, the culmination of this is, going to be in one particular Bible passage that I want to share with you guys, because this isn't basic, and this isn't simple, and this isn't easy, because of the fact that it was never supposed to be. Think about all the times that there were parables that Jesus would say, and, and there'd be amazing stuff, and Jesus would, would say these things and these stories and these, these great lessons of the faith, and then immediately after that, when the crowds are dispersing, and it's just Jesus and his disciples, and they walk up to him and go, all right, Jesus, can you kind of tell us what the heck you just said? Because we don't even kind of get how that relates to anything. There's a thing in, in theology referred to as illumination, a.k.a. you're never going to get this stuff unless the Holy Spirit brings you to a point where you understand this stuff, where this stuff is illuminated, a.k.a. it got lit up and explained to you. And... That 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 at its core is the basis of, of this whole section of this particular episode, because unless God shows us what the Bible is and what it means and how powerful and wonderful and beautiful it is, it's just it's a book. It's a well-written book. It's an interesting book. It's a culturally phenomenally important book. But unless God shows us what it is, we're never going to get it in first Corinthians two. From, we're going to go from, chap, from verse 10 through 15. It says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. See, the big thing here is, is that, again, we don't get any of this without the Spirit of God. We don't get any of this without God taking us by the hand and walking us through this, changing our perspective so we even begin to understand what this stuff even means. And I love that. I love that there is so much room for that, that there is so much room for walking through the different rows and, hed and hedgeways of the Bible. I, I love that 
there is so much going on here and that we still at our core have to you know rely on who god is and what he's doing as we even begin to look at the holy book that is supposed to show us who he is that he needs to show us how to read the book that shows us who he is you can't call it basic if you need the almighty to walk you through it so we've established that it's not basic we've just established that it is a beautiful complex and miraculous thing we've established that there is so much discussion and so much interplay with all this stuff because of the fact that it's not easy there's a reason why we're still having these debates on who did what and and when and and why and and what's the meaning of this particular version of this word in this time as opposed to the 300 other times it's shown up like all that stuff makes it proven that this isn't basic but what about the whole instructions what about the fact that people want to make the bible the basics instructions for people now this comes from a place the bible is instructive in fact it's very clearly instructive because second timothy 3 16 is right there and it kind of just explains things but i i kind of want to go a couple verses before that uh in verse starting in verse 14 it says but as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in jesus christ all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I am not saying that there is nothing that we can learn from the Bible or that it's there not to instruct us. The Bible is there to instruct us. I'm telling you it's not an instruction manual. See... Maybe this is me just coming from the fact of uh, coming from board games and from role-playing games. All these things come with books. And when I was a kid, even our video games, like they don't anymore. But when I was a kid, even video games came with an instruction manual. And the purpose of the instruction manual was to say, when you did A, B happened. You'd use B to make C happen and win the game. This is always the case. Now, some are better than others. In fact, there have been games that I've played that I literally got rid of because I couldn't fathom the, the I don't want to say depth because it wasn't about depth. It was about the absolute morass that I had to wade through to try and even begin to understand what this game wanted me to do. A rule book is pivotal. We have people who hang out with us who are part of our team uh, who who kind of come in and volunteer and who give up of their time and their energy. We have people who edit rule books. I know a lot of people who do that. And part of that is not just correcting grammar. It's saying, hey, I don't think this thing communicates what you need it to communicate. You may need to revamp this or maybe add a section. That's what an instruction manual does. It is literally to take somebody who knows nothing, give them a set of skills that are clearly defined and easily reproducible and says, okay, 
now go and do likewise, and you will always be able to do likewise, and there's only one way to do this. This is the way we made this work. The Bible doesn't do that at all. Yes, the Bible is there for teaching and for reproof and correction and training in righteousness, but it's not as simple as do this, don't do this, or follow steps A, B, and C. It's not as simple as that. There is so much going on there. Like, we've already hinted at so much of that, but there is so much going on. I want to point out a couple different things. Like, before, it's going to be bullet points. It's going to go like bang, 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 bang. But I want to just kind of hit just a few things to to get your mind going, to to kind of wet your whistle, as it were, to to sharpen your senses to the fact that this stuff is there and you need to to embrace it and wrestle with it and and deal with it because again it's only when you do that that you understand what this book is about and and how amazing it is so much of the of the bible is story it's why i tend to really enjoy studying the old testament especially it's why i love things like the book of judges it's why i i dig deep into the the story and the history. I, I love that stuff because I I told you I'm a bad student, right? I don't like lecture. Lecture rolls over me. And I, I, yeah, I can appreciate it. I can glean from it. But it's not my thing. Story is what grabs me. Story is why I do this. I could, you know, if you've ever heard me in a sermon either either that I've done in a church or even that I did back in seminary as part of my class, I do a lot more rambling in this than I do there because I've always been about the story of it and and letting the story be raw and, and hit you folks exactly where I think it needs to hit. I, I craft it, but it's the story that matters to me. And that's a terrible way to get your point across. There's a reason why when I learned how to do sermons, it's the the three points. Make sure all your points are crystal clear, that you've repeated them so many times, that your illustrations are on point and all that stuff. I learned semester after semester after semester how to preach a sermon and how to do it in clear and crisp ways. I've learned how to use proper alliteration. I've learned how to do all that stuff. I've learned to avoid using my hands, where even now, when I'm recording this in front of my computer screen, I'm still using my hands. I've learned how to do all this stuff to be proper, to get a message across. And so much of the Bible isn't that. So much of the Bible is stories. So much of the Bible is letting us enter into the lives of people who love God. It's letting us in and and letting us walk around a little bit in their story, in their life. It's letting us get a glimpse of, of what it means and, and the fact that God thinks these people are important to us. That God's telling these stories to us because we need to know what their life was about. And so much of what's in the Bible is not, yay, this is awesome. It's terrible. And it's not even straight up saying, this is awful, you should avoid it. It's saying, this is a story about a guy who did a thing and it didn't turn out well for him. Maybe you shouldn't do the thing. But it it's not about just that 
that element. It's not just do a thing or don't do a thing. It's I want to show you what this person came from. I want to show you where they went and and the paths that they took. I want you to enter into the fact that I was still working in them even when they were far from me. I want to, you know, all of that is in story. And story is terrible for getting a point across. At least in an instruction manual world. See, in an instruction manual world, it doesn't give you points of action. In an instruction manual world, it doesn't give you a play-by-play. In an instruction manual world, story is rubbish. So when we view the Bible through the lens of an instruction manual, it doesn't do the job well at all. In fact, we have to come along next to it and help it along. And that is why I hate framing it like that. Because we have no business helping the Bible do anything. We don't have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. It's us that became irrelevant. And before you go thinking that, you know, oh, you know, there's so many, you know, he's just going off on on things. He doesn't want to, you know, nail down the the nuts and bolts of the, there is hard, hard and fast truth. And there is, there's hard and fast stuff. There there's the, as much as the Bible is written in story, there's a lot of it that is written in very didactic language, very instructional language. But I'm here to tell you, even that is not as simple and cut and dry as you want it to be, because there is one book of the Bible that is straight up. Do this thing or don't do this thing. And we don't follow it. It's the book of Leviticus. Now, if you're like most people, you haven't cracked Leviticus recently because Leviticus is where you get the entirety of the Old Testament law, at least all the rules of the Old Testament law. You get so much of the little mess, you know, I don't I don't want to say it's it's inconsequential because it's not because it's the Bible and it's it's given to us from God, but at the same point there's stuff like I promise you, you're not following all of Leviticus, despite the fact that it is straight-up instruction. I know when my wife has her, well, let's just say her monthly visitor, I I don't have her outside of my house in a tent. That's in Leviticus. I don't do that. The book of Leviticus, the, the, the fun one that lots of people want to cite is, you know, uh, one that most of us, at least most of us living in, you know, Western civilization, will say, uh, it says to not have clothing of mixed fiber. I'm pretty confident that every piece of clothing I own is of mixed fiber. And so that doesn't really work. And we look at Leviticus and we say, oh, well, that's just cultural. And we look at Leviticus and say, oh, well, that's just, you know, you, you, you don't need to take that one quite so literally. And that's my point. We can't view the Bible as a straight up instruction manual when the book of the Bible that is straight up instruction manual. We want to take so much of it and say, well, that really doesn't apply to me. Leviticus proves to me that this can't be an instruction manual mindset. We can't look at it from that framework because when so much of it doesn't fit into that mold, 
and the part that does fit into that mold we don't like and we don't use and I'm not even saying that from a, a you know, we're a fallen nation, a, a bunch of people who don't really take the Bible seriously. Because in one of my favorite passages of the Bible in its entirety is Micah 6, 8. And, it, you know, Micah, in, in that particular chapter, the people come up to Micah and it's like, oh, we have all the, the, the sacrifices, we have the oil, we have the, the, the calves, we have all this stuff we want to give. We want to, you know, give a an offering unto God. And all of it... Everything they mention is 100% as written in the law. <laughs> it's everything that, that God said, this is when you offer something up to me, it should be this. Every bit of it is exactly how Leviticus writes it. And Micah, the prophet of God, said, you do realize that God doesn't care if you do this stuff, if your heart's not in the right place, right? Now, I'm paraphrasing. Of course I am. But... That's the core of that passage. He's, he's like, like you need to, to live right. You need to care about each other. You need to, to walk humbly in the fact that God is God and you aren't. And no matter how many times you follow the instructions, no matter how many times you put sacrifice A into temple offering B, you're not going to get godly living C if that aspect isn't there. So if even the Bible itself says, yeah, these, these rules are not straight up. Do this. It's do this from a place where you acknowledge that you need God desperately. That's not an instruction manual kind of thing. That's, that's not a, you know, guidebook kind of thing, but it is very much a Bible thing. And I kind of want to end this particular section on the fact that this isn't an instruction book by saying that you got to realize that while these books were written for a specific people in a specific time in a specific location, this is a book designed to span generations, to span locations, to span cultures. It's a book that was written and given to us across all of that stuff. So when you view it as an instruction manual, you limit it. You limit it to that people, in that time, in that circumstance. To make it an instruction manual is to make it so that it fits those people in their time and their needs. But that's not what the Bible is. It is designed to give us that moment like Jacob who wrestled with God. It is designed to give us that, that moment with the Almighty. It is a book that is designed to show us who God is if we are willing to take the time to dive in. And really do the work of trying to sit there and do the study while we realize that we have that all of our study and all of our, our good works and all of our ability to understand this is mitigated by the fact that we need God to even begin to understand it. I want to end with one last passage of the Bible to kind of wrap this up because... 
this right here is my my nail in the proverbial coffin when you try to think of, of the Bible as an instruction manual. Because Hebrews 4.12 does not describe an instruction manual. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You don't get that from an instruction manual. You don't get that from A plus B equals C. You don't get that from entering into the beauty that is the Bible from that very simple, basic mentality. You get that when you lay yourself bare before the Almighty and says, God, I want to know what this says. I want to know what this means. I want to know a little bit more about you than I did yesterday. And whether or not you're the person who reads the Bible diligently every morning, or you get to it when you can, or you try and squirrel away verses, maybe you're like me and memorization is a, a, a painful thing that is gone as soon as you're done with it. Maybe you're somebody who has entire books of the Bible memorized. I, I don't want to leave you with any of that. I want to leave you, as I've said throughout this entire journey, which is longer than a lot of Barden Bibles have been, and it's fitting that it is. My goal in this particular tale is to tell you to dig in, because this isn't easy, and it's not basic, and it's so much more than an instruction manual. It does require of us. It does need us to, to sift through all of this stuff because so many people have written so many things and said so many things and parsed so many words. There are so many things that go into even the most cursory understanding of this book. And it is living and active it is powerful and beautiful. Barden Bible, when I started doing this, has always been about taking say, taking something in the Christian life or something of the Bible and saying, you have always heard it this way. Maybe we should think about it this way. Not just to be contradictory or to be, you know, hipster Bible reader, but because I think that there's something crucial about digging in and letting the Bible change us, letting it not just be about what I do with my time or, you know, patrolling my thoughts or any of that stuff. Yeah, that stuff is part of it. But if that's all we limit it to, we're, we're not realizing this is a living document. We don't care that, you know, we say it's the word of God just because we want to clarify that the instructions are coming from Jesus. It, it, to call it the word of God and make that be living and real and true and something that spans generations, locations, cultures, and all of that. We have to be willing to realize that it's hard. And that's what makes it beautiful. As, as I leave, just kind of 
I really hope that you guys have, have liked this one. Like I said, it is longer than many of them have been. And, uh, I really hope you've stuck around to this point. Uh, I want to, to thank you guys so much for all of the, the support and, you know, I mentioned it in the last episode of Game Store Profits. The, this community has been so amazing. Um, there's part of me that wanted to, to dig into this first episode of me back after my my baby vacation. And it's time to just step into what January was like for me because the short version is, is that January was hell. Um, part of me wanted to, to open up with that. But I, I wanted to do this particular one because uh, one, it was something that I had already kind of prepared and mulled over and and prayed through before. Like it was gonna be my last one before Jonathan took over, uh, which I, I want to thank Jonathan. He, I wasn't able to record as many as I wanted to because of the whole shenanigans with the the birth of my child. Nor was Jonathan able to because he had just changed jobs. So. Uh, I do want to thank him, even though he he only got the one out, but that one was really cool and I really liked it. And uh, I do want to thank him because it allowed me to kind of take a little bit more time. But I, I, I just wanted to say how great this community has been. Knowing that you guys have prayed for me and for my family, knowing that so many people had sent like cards and emails and stuff like that has been such a blessing. I, I absolutely love this community. I am so thankful that I get to be a part of it, that, the, that this is something that God has really built around the activities of a handful of goofy guys who love games and love Jesus. I'm, I'm so thankful that I get to do this. And so I, 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 I especially wanted to get back to this one about the Bible and, and how cool it is and how amazing it is. And I hope that as this year continues, I hope that I'm able to continue to do Pardon Bible uh, in, in light of the fact that I still have this very tiny human I need to take care of who's probably due for a feeding soon. So I got to make sure that I wrap things up. But I, I thank you for letting me do this and for allowing uh, my voice to, to come into your ears and to wrestle with some of the craziness that is the Christian life and some of the craziness that is the Bible. And uh, I look forward to doing it for a lot longer. And because of the fact that I'm always up for a tagline, I want you to realize that no matter how you view the scriptures, because there are very smart people who have very different opinions on a lot of different things, and there are... Uh, there are some things that you are kind of pivotal to call yourself a Christian, but there aren't that many. Uh, a lot of it is more about the, the discussion and the wrestling. And I hope that you enter into that and enter into it with a spirit of humility that says, do the work, but understand that you're not God. And so you can't fully understand it. I, I want you to know that no matter where, where you fall, no matter what your hermeneutic, no matter what your theological bent you are a dwarf bard, and do not let anyone call you suboptimal. But instead, enter into what God is doing, enter into what God has said. Allow it to wash over you and change you. Wrestle with it and struggle with it, and come out the other side absolutely changed for the better. 
I look forward to seeing you next time here in the Barden Bible.